Hello and welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers, the podcast for people who are curious about how to have a more fulfilling work life. We live in a world largely driven by numbers, logic and reason. But how we feel at work and about our work impacts us, our organisations and society. There is a relationship between the numbers of our organisations and the life beyond the numbers. I'm Susan Michrielon, your host. I've lived and worked in many countries. I've met people who love what they do and people who don't. People who bring their full selves to work and people who won't. But one thing that I've learned that is common to us all is that we are all unique and have unique experiences. And it's helpful to know that there are others who think like we do, or have had struggles too, or have gone where we want to go, or can show us things we didn't know. So join me and my guests as we place a lens on the human side of work life by sharing insights, stories and strategies to inspire you to let your uniqueness shine. This morning, yeah, this morning, I'm absolutely delighted to welcome back Sue Rosen to Life Beyond the Numbers. Sue, you're so welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Susan. It's fantastic to be back. I can't believe that just before you hit record that we were speaking about that it's three years or almost three years since we spoke on your first episode of the podcast. So it's fantastic to be back. Yeah, and that, that's right, Sue. The title of that episode, episode number one, was stepping into the unknown. And I didn't really think about that at the time, but that's absolutely what the podcast was doing too, was stepping into the unknown. (laughs) And I still listen to parts of that episode, believe it or not, because there's just so much wisdom in it. And you were so open and honest. It really set me off on a great track. So I'm deeply grateful for that, Sue. Oh, thank you. That's that's very beautiful of you to say so. And so I will leave a link in the show notes for anyone that would like to listen or re-listen to that episode. And today we're going to talk about something a little bit different, I think. And we're going to talk about executive presence. And I was wondering about these two words together first, Sue. <laughs> the word executive <laughs> and the word presence. <laughs> and maybe we could just start with that. Yeah, absolutely. The two words together are often used, but I think they're often not really understood. And so when I started thinking about this topic, in particular last year, and I decided to really delve into it, was because it gets bandied about as a term that to step up into higher levels of leadership, to work at the senior level, to be at the leadership table, the C-suite, all of these things... I would hear people getting feedback. He needs more executive presence. One young CFO said to me, he said, I've been told I need more CFO presence. And he was a bit flummoxed, really. What does that mean? What do I do with it? I don't know where to go with that. And I think it is a term that can feel nebulous and intangible which is what started me exploring, well, what does it really mean? And actually, 
having read lots of definitions, one that really lands with me is that it's around inspiring the confidence of other people in your capabilities and your potential, even or maybe especially when under pressure. It's this ability to stay calm when there's chaos, to bring a level of certainty when we all know that there is no certainty in in business or in the world more generally. When we're working in complexity and uncertainty, what is it that we can bring which is really, and this is, I think, which really talks about the presence piece. You know, when you say, look at those two words separately, how do I, as an individual, whether or not I'm an executive, how do I, as an individual, bring my presence to every conversation, to every interaction, whether that is a one-on-one with a direct report or whether that is standing in front of a room full of shareholders. So, It is this piece about being willing to stand up and speak up and be seen, but doing that in such a way that people perceive it as, or that we are authentic and genuine, because that's how we build the trust and the confidence of the other people, that we can get stuff done, that we will be able to deliver. So, yeah, I think, you know, in a, I was going to say in a nutshell, I'm not sure that was a nutshell, but that's what I think this is about. And it's worth unpacking a bit because otherwise it is a term that people don't really feel comfortable with. And people would say, well, I kind of know it when I see it. Agreed. Agreed. And that's just what I was thinking there. Like, do you have examples of people in the public forum that many of us might know because we see them on TV or whatever it is, that have this executive presence. And we can use that as leadership anyway, I think. The executive Mm. is leadership presence as such. So who would conjure up for you the embodiment of executive presence? So when we look on the world stage, I would absolutely say somebody like Barack Obama. Somebody who speaks with conviction, doesn't seem to get easily rattled, but really is is passionate about what he believes in and is able to articulate that in a way that connects with people. Now, politics aside, obviously some people will say, I don't believe in what he, he does or what he stands for, but I think there's really something in the presence. And I think there's a lot of other leaders as well that people will talk about being charismatic. And I've always thought one of the key attributes of somebody who is charismatic is the ability to make you feel like you're special when you interact with them. Again, that is about bringing presence because that is about being fully present with the person in front of you so that they do feel like their opinion is the only one that matters and that you are connecting with them and them alone. And there are people who command a room like that, that people feel that they're talking just to them, even if there is a room full of people. So, yeah, he's one example. And and a great one. And and I kind of get the sense that if I met Barack Obama on the street tomorrow, (laughs) that he'd be the same (laughs) person if I had a chat with him that he would be if he was sitting down in front of prime minister or a president or whoever yeah 
a, a leader of state somewhere. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's an important element of executive presence is this piece around authenticity. And that talks to trust, doesn't it? Because it's people trust us if they believe in what we're saying, that we are walking the talk, you know, that we are values driven and that we are embodying everything we're saying. It's when we see the mismatch between the words and what a person is doing. And I don't know about you, Susan, certainly I've worked with some, well, for some people like that in the past, where there was a significant mismatch. And and in organisations, this quite often happens. There's a real mismatch between the mission and value statement that's on the wall and what actually is happening around you. It's really only when we actually can see the values being acted out every day that we trust in the culture of an organisation. And that also speaks to, to a leader as well. And I think that goes to as well, that doesn't mean having all the answers. It's about how you cope with or deal with humility in situations where you don't have all the answers. The model I have worked with that I built up last year was around these three key elements of executive presence. The first being confidence, the second being humility, and the third being connection. And then each of those breaks down into three factors that people can work on, because I think that's a really important piece for people to know as well, because otherwise sometimes we go, oh, well, Barack Obama, that's just how he is. And especially when you talk about authenticity, that can be a trap for young players in in thinking authenticity is all about, well, just how I am. And I think we can still build our capability. And there's a piece about introversion and extroversion and how comfortable am I speaking in front of people. But we all start where we're at and we all have an ability to grow and learn and build this capacity. So I think that's really important, that it's not something that is purely an innate trait or ability that we're born with and never shall it change. We can make a conscious decision to develop it, to cultivate it. And that's that's why I started working up a model and talking about what are the things we need to cultivate because how can we build this and there were aspects of this that will come easier to some people than others, but it doesn't mean if you don't have it, you give up and you're never going to make it up to the highest level of leadership. And that's such an interesting point, Sue, that you make there about how, well, that's just how he is, or that's how she is, or that's just who I am. And mm. we, I suppose we let ourselves off the hook almost for taking the plunge to see whether or not we can develop this and Mm. maybe it seems too far-fetched I don't know what stops us from believing we can develop executive presence Mm, that's a that's a great question what stops us I think potentially there are all kinds of things that get in the way and the first is the belief you know if we have the belief that it is an innate trait well then we then we don't even try and the other piece is some of those limiting beliefs or assumptions that we all have. And interestingly, one of the women that I've worked with who, you know, very, very capable woman and to an outsider had already reached a senior position. And really she was 
when she first started working with me, really struggling with imposter syndrome. She wanted to put her hand up to go up to the next level. But she was really listening to all of the internal critic voices about, well, who are you to do that? You're a little girl. What do you think you're doing? Why would they give that role to you? And it's it's about challenging all of those limiting beliefs and assumptions that have really been with us from our families or from our culture, from societal expectations. And actually this same woman last night was speaking, I was at an event and she was speaking on a panel actually about diversity, equity and inclusion. And, and the story she shares as well, which I think is so important to this piece about realising that we can do it, is she said, I still get scared about public speaking. But I realise that if I want to help other people, other, particularly in her instance, other young women and other immigrants, because she's an immigrant to Australia, if I want to help those people, and I do, this is what I have to do. And so there's a piece there about sometimes we need to put ourselves out of our comfort zones, not only for our own benefit, but actually because that is how we can be more effective. And if there are things we want to achieve, and I don't know about you, I've never met a leader yet who doesn't want to achieve things and make a meaningful contribution. So I always challenge people, well, if you want to make a meaningful contribution, what is it that you need to be able to do? And when you start to create that picture of what do I need to be able to do? Do I need to be able to speak up in front of a board? Do I need to be able to challenge the CEO? Do I need to present to stakeholders, investors or shareholders? Once you start to think about the things I need to do, you can also then start to think about how do I become a person who does that? And it doesn't mean you need to abandon everything you thought you already were. It's about how do I grow and develop that capacity in myself? It's not binary. I don't think it's either I'm either one thing or I'm the other. It's how can I grow this capacity to do more, to contribute more and be more effective? Because I think that's more fulfilling. Totally. And I think what you're saying there actually, Sue, about the grow and develop is really the key point here because we can turn around and say, well, I want to be like that, but I want to be like that tomorrow. <laughs> I don't <laughs> want to have to put the work in. And I, that's what I see a lot is that we believe that the technical skills or the, the CPD, the continual professional development we need to do really seems like a way to invest our time and our money but when it comes to personal growth and development well that's for those people who aren't really sure of their place in the world I'm a leader and by having the title leader I should be able to do this tomorrow yeah is isn't that interesting Susan that that's where we go with that assumption and yet when we look back Am I the same person in my 50s that I was at 20? Well, let's hope not. <laughs> God forbid. But, but also there's inevitably evolution and development. Partly that happens 
without the intentionality. But I think this is about now being intentional about how are the how do I want to develop? And then, but also the other piece, when you talk about technical learning, if we think about it, when we came out of, as you and I did, when we came out of uni and went through professional training, so I'm a CA by training, and that didn't happen overnight either. And actually, no good learning does. I look at things that we assume now that we take for granted. You know, I get in a car, I can drive a car. If you've ever had to teach your children to drive, you know, what pain you can go through just on that. And then even when they're new drivers, of course, there's it's much higher risk. And over time, these things become part of who we are and what we're capable of doing. And I think it's the same thing really here, but it is about making a conscious choice to develop. And then it is about practice because this stuff particularly, you can't go and do a one day leadership workshop and go, oh, now I've got it. (laughs) Now, Now it's all sorted because it's a continual evolution and you have to keep putting things into practice. So if you are wanting to become more compelling in your public speaking, yes, by all means, take a course that helps you do that. But you need to keep putting yourself out there to practice. And you have to practice and then you have to get feedback and then you have to practice again. And it's the same in any other aspect of leadership. If it's around having difficult conversations, work on what your assumptions are. Am I being conflict avoidant, for example? And how can I switch up my own internal voice so that I don't hold back from those conversations when I know I need to have them. And it requires a level of honesty. That's the word that keeps popping into my head, Sue, as you're talking there. And it's fine for somebody else to tell you, you need to develop executive presence or for this role, executive presence is a requirement and you don't display enough of it, all of that. But back to what we said at the beginning, that can be a bit nebulous. So actually, perhaps the first step is, well, how do I come across? It's actually just looking at yourself going, honestly, how do I come across? Yeah, absolutely. And seeking feedback from people you trust on how you are being perceived within the organisation, for example. I really think all of leadership and really all of executive presence starts from within. It starts with a need. You really do need to actually take time for reflection. I always describe it to people as, you know, you've got to slow down to go faster. You've got to stop and reflect on what's important to you. What are your values? How do you want to show up as a leader? And then unpacking some of your stories about what's possible, what's not possible, who I am, who I'm not. Unpacking some of that and really as well, leveraging your own strengths. So I think there's this internal piece, first of all, which is often about, that's why I said the confidence piece, that is sometimes about building the confidence that I do have something of value to offer, even if I don't have all the answers. And then the second piece is much more around this perception piece. How am I being perceived by other people? seeking feedback on that. How am I engaging in conversations? And this is where you're bringing the humility as well. 
So it's not all about confidence because I think sometimes people think leadership, executive presence, I need to be strong and commanding. Now, there's a place for strong and commanding, but this is not about stepping into authoritarian leadership voice. This is about speaking with conviction, aligned with your values, and also then bringing the humility to listen to the contributions of others, improving your ability to listen, truly listen, and see their perspectives, which talks to getting diverse opinions around a table, for example, getting to know the people who you work with as individuals so that you start to see the different options ahead of you. That enables us to be so much more creative and innovative in our problem solving when we're willing to listen to different voices. I think one area where, let's say we collectively, you know, in a, in a function like accounting or finance, whether that's in practice or in corporate, is that we have been so tightly fused or meshed with our identity as a technical expert and a subject matter expert. And I have all this training and I know all this stuff that we actually can hold very tightly to our need to be right. And we can hold very tightly to our desire to be seen as the expert with all the answers. And it's interesting. I see I see people on either end of this spectrum in terms of some who don't have the, like the lady I commented on earlier, who don't have the confidence to put themselves forward for the next big thing. And I see others who are so sure that they're right. And talking to somebody recently, he said, oh, I feel like Actually, maybe a lot of CFOs sit more in this bracket. <laughs> they're so sure that they have the right answer, that they're not genuinely listening. So there's something about bringing your expertise, bringing your opinion, but holding it more lightly so that you can make space for the contributions of others. Because just maybe there's another perspective and just maybe there's, a way forward. And so that approach or attitude can sometimes appear as arrogance, although sometimes it's actually not really driven by arrogance. It's not driven by knowing, by thinking I'm better. It can sometimes be actually driven by an insecurity about if I'm not the one with all the answers, who am I? Or a belief that many of us grew up with that the boss or the leader is expected to know the answer. And how do we let go of that so that we can find better answers? And what I'm thinking about there as well, Sue, is our neuroplasticity, you know, our brain's ability to learn new things and also to strengthen the things we've learned the more times we do it. So I often think about finance people or anyone that's in a technical role who has spent a lot of their time doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. And that just strengthens those neural pathways so much that actually it really is harder to see another perspective. Mm-hmm. You've just been conditioned and it's not arrogance or it's not anything. It's that actually you really need to knock on the heads of somebody <laughs> to get in there. Because if you're used to saying no, for example, I mean, we'll often hear people are you know, used to saying no or used to seeing risks everywhere. It's because you've been conditioned that mm-hmm. way. 
And actually, it's really good to step outside of your day to day to get that complete fresh perspective. You almost need to swing the pendulum completely the other direction yeah, too far to wake you direction. up. Yeah. <laughs> and and Susan, to add to that, not only, I mean, absolutely we've been conditioned and doing similar, yeah, as you say, looking everywhere for risk, working in organisations where cash is so tight that we are constantly saying no. And then we are rewarded for that as well. So incentives are around these kind of behaviours and we've been rewarded and respected. So it's not surprising that that we hold tightly to that. It's I not. just think it's maybe not helpful for the next step. Uh, no, and that, that's a really good point, Sue, the rewarding and the respect that goes with, uh, yeah, it's like a crown. Oh, here am I, I've been crowned. <laughs> and and then I move to another organisation and they have a different approach and suddenly I'm really on the outside and mm. I don't have my executive presence. <laughs> I only have my technical skills and they're not going to stand to me here. But what I'd like to go back to, because I think something you talked about was somebody with executive presence, whether it's one-on-one -on -one or in a larger group or even to a town hall or whatever, that person has the ability to engage at the same level yeah. regardless. And I think this is a really interesting point because one-on-one -on -one we might just dismiss people if they're not the people we want to really be in a room with and we can treat mm -hmm. people differently and then in a meeting we might be in performance mode mm -hmm. because we want to impress and I think what you're saying is the more you can be yourself and a, a really strong version of yourself then the more people will see you consistently in each of these different fora I think that's a great point, Susan, actually, and I'm not sure I've articulated it in that way before, but I've loved that you picked it up like that because I think actually this is key to the authenticity piece and consistency, that you've identified that word there, consistency, because that is, again, back to building trust, consistency, working in alignment with what you've said is important and then following through on that. So all of those things... And back to the piece about, well, how do I build this? So I said there's the piece about understanding yourself and what you stand for, and then there's actually learning to listen more. And the practice comes as well with often people will say, oh, I am confident and comfortable presenting or running a team meeting for my own team. So then we're talking about, well, how can you bring that level of comfort or capability into a board meeting. Now, the board meeting will require some differences in approach. I mean, I think that, you know, almost goes without saying. But how can you, in essence, still be bringing that person who walks their talk? So you may need some assistance in terms of skills around presentation or writing board reports. But I think it still comes from that same place of practicing I've worked with people on this before as well you know people who were scared to pay to speak up in a different forum and then it's almost like 
providing yourself with little experiments that you can try. What can you experiment with that pushes you that bit further? You know, it's expanding the edges of your comfort zone. It is pushing you just a little bit further than you have been going to date in terms of whether it's getting up and speaking in front of a group or practicing for that board meeting. I think it's sometimes that comes with unpacking some of those assumptions that we go in before with before. How can we create experiences, experiments to help us test what we're actually capable of whilst retaining the essence of who we are and still staying connected to our values. Yeah, so we talked about that CFO early on who was told he didn't have CFO presence. Mm. And, you know, what did that mean to that person? Like, how did it hit them? What happens when people are faced with this, first of all, if they don't even know what it is or where to start? Yeah, well, I think in that instance, that was one of those those circumstances where he just went, well, I don't get it. I don't know what I should do with that information. And interestingly, Susan, although I say sometimes it is given as feedback and people don't know what to do with it, on the flip side, I would say there are people who, when you look, what they're saying is not, oh, I lack executive presence. What they're saying is, I don't feel like I'm being heard. Or I don't feel like I'm being included. I'm feeling isolated or excluded from some of these really important leadership conversations. And so for me, that's an area where I don't want to label everyone that speaks to me about it. And they're not necessarily, they often themselves are not using that language of, I feel I have a lack of a presence. They're saying, I'm feeling invisible or I'm feeling isolated or nobody's listening to me. In this instance, where he actually was given that feedback, one of the key things is to go back and actually ask more questions about what would that look like? You know, what would it look like if I did have CFO presence? That's where we started, getting a bit more feedback from the CEO and the board, and then also working with him as to what did he feel that would look like and really it did come down to being present and when I say being present being really engaged with the conversation and I think for for people who have not done the work that you and I have done maybe around mindfulness and bringing one's presence a lot of bringing one's presence means being fully engaged with what's happening in front of you and no distractions. And I think for him, that was actually a significant part of how do you sit in a board meeting, be really engaged with what's happening, present in a way that the board believe you're taking the issues seriously and that you've got them under control. So that does require a degree of being able to speak with confidence at a high level, and I think this is a piece that sometimes does get missed, is that it's about bringing a strategic view and a big picture view rather than ending up in the details. Because I think that's often where 
a boss or a board go, this person hasn't really got the executive presence because they're not able to zoom out from the issue. They keep zooming down into the details. And again, so much of that goes back to our training. They're zooming down into the details, but actually what we need to do is step back and get the big picture and cultivate a more strategic approach. So I think that for him, he was giving them too much detail. He wasn't talking at that strategic level. He was not as engaged as he might have been in the broader conversations because as well, this is the other piece is if you're a CFO, you potentially have insights into all many aspects of the business, but some businesses are not bringing you into as many aspects as they could do. It's also up to you to show an interest and actually show how potentially you could contribute to decision-making at that strategy level. And that's such a good point there, Sue. I think we very often blame the others around us too and not blame but maybe like assume that because we haven't been invited that it's their fault or they're not taking us seriously or there's something going on here that I'm not invited to because finance isn't important in this organization we do we create a story to match what's happening and that's so human to do How do you start to take responsibility for where you are in your life? Because I think that's what a lot of this comes down to. (laughs) And I, well, that's a big question, Susan. (laughs) Right at the end. (laughs) Right at the end. How do you take, (laughs) and I think there's, but there's always that question that we all need to be asking ourselves whenever we are in relationship with another person, which we always are in our roles as leaders in organisations and in our home lives when we're in relationship with other people. The question is, or if you're seeing a conflict or a problem, what's the part that I have played? It is about considering personal responsibility and not feeling like it's all my fault because I think some of that story about no one invites me, that can equally Some people go all the way to blaming everybody else. Other people go very much into the self-blame and they beat themselves up. This is my fault. I'm no good. I haven't spoken up. I haven't told anybody. I I can't do this. So there becomes a self-blame and a beating oneself up. Or there's the blame everybody else piece. And it can be anywhere along that spectrum or a combination of two. So I think it's about asking ourselves, well, what part have I played? But doing that with self-compassion, because we all make mistakes, we all screw up. So what part have I played and how would I like to move forward? They're so helpful, those questions. And they're so simple as well. And I think that that's what it doesn't mean they're easy to do. (laughs) What part have I played does take again back to that honesty I think it does take practice and Mm. humility that you mentioned it takes a lot to even admit to yourself that you could have played a part and I think it reminds me of this post on LinkedIn last week and we probably won't get to that now about ageism and Mm. one of the things about women who are in their 40s and 50s 
or even younger 20s being excluded because of of just patriarchy, whatever. And one of the things I had to ask myself was, well, what role am I playing in in keeping myself invisible as I age? Is there something I can do about not accepting the world as it is? Mm. And they're hard questions to ask ourselves. But the earlier you can start doing that in life, I think, the better. Yeah, and I feel like we could tip over into a whole other conversation because where I'm going with that is, yes, you're right. And there is a question about what part have I played in keeping myself small or keeping myself invisible or all of those things. And we have to be very careful, especially around the gendered stuff, that we don't just go into that. And Sheryl Sandberg went there with her book about all about leaning in. And I remember reading that thinking, I'm sorry, lady, I've lent in a lot in my career. There are structural issues here. <laughs> you know, there are structural issues around the patriarchy. So, it, But it goes back to that. It's not all one or the other. And I think actually, so that that example of that I was speaking about before, the woman who said, yes, I'm scared of speaking up, but I want to do it for the benefit of others. So... Perhaps that's part of what we need to do as individuals. We need to challenge ourselves to speak up and on the matter on the things that matter to us. And then, you know, that that's the way we will change the structural inequities in our societies. And that is how we do make change over time, is enough of us speaking up on important issues. And it doesn't mean we have no personal responsibility for how we show up. There is absolutely the the person within the system and, and we need to operate at both levels. Totally. And you talked about executive presence having three things, confidence, humility and connection. And we talked about connection a little bit as well. But I think the connection there, I'm guessing, is about connecting to you and what matters to you as much as it is connecting to others. I think I think for me, the connection to self comes a lot in that confidence piece, because as you connect to self, you build confidence. Connection in this model, interestingly, I think that is a part of it as well, is also about recognising that our presence is always developed and built through relationship with others. And whenever we want to achieve something in life, or we want to make a bigger contribution, we want to step up and we want to make a larger and more impactful contribution to whatever, whether it's an organisation or it's a cause, we need to do that in connection with other people. Human beings are social animals. We can all achieve so much more when we work as a collective rather than work individually. So for me, this is where the connectivity piece comes in. It's about connection with opportunities, with it, about engaging with other people. So there are multiple layers to it, but essentially it's about recognising that none of us can do this thing on our own, whatever this thing is really. Leadership starts with you as an individual, but it absolutely is something you are going to build and create in connection with other people and working in collective environments because the world is full of thorny challenges and 
we can only solve them if we work collectively. And I also think no one has it all figured out. Like even Barack Obama doesn't have it all figured <laughs> out. And that's the yeah, other which thing. is why, which is why then Michelle is so beautiful in her <laughs> honesty, because she talks so frankly about nobody's perfect. We are all fallible human beings, and that's part of the acceptance piece, isn't it? Accepting who I am, with all my faults, and at the same time, working to improve that. How do I bring the best version of myself? It's, that doesn't mean I'm going to be perfect. It means accepting that we're all imperfect and I'm just going to keep working on the bits that I would like to be better. Absolutely. And there is nobody in the world that has the same experiences as you. Mm. So you've always got something to contribute. I think that's the other thing. Often we think our experience or our life or our knowledge isn't enough, but Mm. It really is. We all have our own take on things, our own view on things, our own opinions. Other people might buy into them, but the more you cultivate presence, the more you feel comfortable regardless. Yeah, and I think, it, well, it doesn't mean you will always feel comfortable, but it is it is if you are connecting back to yourself, you know you're speaking with good intent. And I actually, one of the tips I give people is if you are not sure that you have got the experience or the knowledge to contribute a piece of knowledge or expertise, then your contribution equally can be asking questions because that's how we build ideas as well, is getting really curious, asking good questions. And it goes back to that piece about an outsider coming into a a boardroom table or a leadership table with a new perspective because they've come from a different industry or they've got a very different background and they're asking what might appear initially to be the dumb questions. We know there are no dumb questions. If they challenge somebody to think differently, they're worthwhile. Absolutely. That is so true. And you can start with, if you get the feedback, you need to develop presence or executive presence start there ask that question (laughs) what does that mean because I think we do hear so many terms bandied about that aren't always explained and people don't have the same version of it so it really is important to clarify what people mean Sue we have like run out of time and we barely got started and (laughs) but we have we covered a lot I think in that discussion so if people would like to learn more because I know you've done a white paper Sue on this what's the best way of connecting with you and learning more So I'm on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn. So you'll find me, Sue Rosen, on LinkedIn. And also my website is suerosen.com.au. And there's there's a spot there where you can download the white paper. Yeah, and find out more about my work. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for your time. Well, for morning for me and evening for you. So I hope you have a lovely evening, Sue. On the shortest day of the year, it is in Australia. Absolutely. Shortest day here, longest day there. So enjoy the long day you have ahead of you, Susan. (laughs) All right. Take care. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the paths we traversed on today's episode. If something rang through for you, be sure to let me know. Or maybe you can share this with someone in your life 
who would benefit from listening too. And if you enjoy helping others, I'd be so grateful if you would leave a review so that people who might also be curious about their own life beyond the numbers can discover this podcast too.